0: On this episode of AvTalk, we head to Roswell, New Mexico for the Super 80 send-off. Then we're off to Los Angeles for Cranky Flyers Dorkfest and Spot LAX 2019. Plus, an American Airlines mechanic is arrested for sabotage, and there's a fresh obstacle for the 737 Max's return to service. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of
1: Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rupinowitz, and we've got a good one this week. This is a really good show.
0: I mean, it might possibly be one of the most exciting, at least for us, episodes of the podcast we've ever done.
1: Yeah. We obviously haven't recorded it yet, so we can't quite vouch that it's going to be as good as we think it's going to be, but I think it's going to be as good as we think it's going to be.
0: Portions of this episode have been pre-recorded and reformatted to fit your ears. Exactly. So Here's the format of the episode. We did some things in the past couple of weeks. We're going to definitely talk about those, and we've got some special guests coming up. I won't ruin it quite yet. Ian left his house. I did. I left my house twice in one week. I did big deal. I didn't only leave my house twice in one week. I went to a different state twice in one week. You went to three states. Well, wow. I, did, I, le- I left the state, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that a little bit later on this show because we've got some, some real special stuff coming up. But in the meantime, news waits for no podcaster. And, that's right, and so there, it has also been an incredibly busy week on that front. And I think we should just dive right in with what happened in Miami with the American Airlines mechanic, in that he was arrested for sabotage.
1: Yeah, you you shouldn't do that. So if you're you're not aware, if you're not from the United States, or, or hard to imagine you don't keep a close eye on in the industry, if you are listening to this very podcast, but American and its mechanics union, its aircraft mechanic union, have been going at it quite hard for the past few months over uh, contract renegotiations, and it has not been subtle. The leader. Of uh, Americans, Mechanics Union has not so subtly called for blood, and unfortunately, when most people see this kind of rhetoric and they they see it as a negotiation tactic and they brush it off, there's always that few percent of people who take it to heart and do really, 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 really. S- Stupid things. And unfortunately, this stupid thing happened to be a, an American Airlines mechanic at Miami International decided, I really don't like the way the negotiations are going. They've hurt me economically in some way. I'm going to sabotage a plane to get overtime to fix the plane I sabotaged. And not only did he do that, but he went about doing it in a very stupid, easy to catch way. And there is a a very large investigation into how this happened, why it happened, why he would do it, and I hope he sees many many years of prison time.
0: Yeah, I mean, so what happened was is he sprayed, or, or I don't know the exact method of the foam delivery, but foam ended up covering a piece of the navigation system that corrupted the ability of the system to function properly. The pilots began their taxi out on the taxi. They never even made it to the runway. This was a the, the pilots are, you know, taxiing for departure and something's very wrong with the navigation system. So they they turned around, they went back to the gate, other mechanics opened up the plane and said, Well that's not supposed to be there and things kind of uh, went from there as far as the investigation beginning.
1: Thankfully, the other mechanics didn't keep this to themselves and keep it in the family. They contacted the authorities and corporate security and MIA police and they tracked down very easily who did this. I read the FBI complaint and the employee who sabotaged the aircraft had a very pronounced limp and they were able to find video of him going to the aircraft that he wasn't ever supposed to touch. He typically never left the hangar, but in this instance, he actually went out to the gate and tampered with the aircraft, and they were able to trace it all back to him, and he just outright admitted it all, which is, I guess, good, makes prosecution easier. But I guess the saving grace of this is that the aircraft worked the way it was supposed to. It detected an issue, and as Ian described, that he disconnected a cable or some sort of air sensor and physically sabotaged it, putting styrofoam in it and gluing it in. Unbelievable that he would leave so much physical evidence behind, but the aircraft sensed that there was something wrong and it returned to the gate. But there have definitely been cases in the past where not having that proper airspeed data has indeed caused fatal accidents. Several incidents with with Boeing and other manufacturer aircrafts, and thankfully the aircraft in this instance did what it was supposed to do, identified the issue, and they went back to the gate. But his intention was not to harm the aircraft or the passengers but very easily could have whether his intention was to or not to do so
0: right exactly it it doesn't matter what his intentions were it matters what could have happened and and i asked around you know is this was a serious thing obviously but was this something that that could have easily led to an accident and and the answer i got was not conclusive, mostly because we don't know exactly kind of what he did. and It wasn't, um, thankfully, I guess, kind of broadcast wide. But like you said, I mean, there's always the possibility when we're talking about aircraft that any issue could compound itself, especially once the aircraft's in the air.
1: And Thankfully, the American Airlines Mechanics Union has thrown this employee under the bus and completely condoned his behavior. That could have gone the other way. The union could have defended him or who knows what, but it was good to see them very quickly put out a release saying, this guy sucks. He doesn't speak for us. We can <laughs> obviously never condone tampering with an aircraft.
0: I don't think that's actually what the release said,
1: but no. that would be some refreshing honesty. Yeah, that was not a a direct quote. From anyone. But at the same time, I feel like his actions were directly influenced by the rhetoric coming from the union. There's that one video from a couple months ago where the head of the union literally calls for blood and declares war on their own airline. So if that wasn't unsettling enough, this really shines a bad light on the union and unfortunately on American as well because this just can't happen. It should never happen. It is terrible for passengers to see this on the news and think, oh, their mechanics have gone rogue, and they're actively sabotaging aircraft. It's just a one-off case, but man, that's a bad look. Yeah. Shall we switch to a much happier story? Involving what? Involving a pilot who just wanted to go on vacation. See, there are bad employees like uh, the mechanic down at Miami and then there are good employees. And, this the, may and then be- there's the EasyJet pilot from Manchester. Yeah, this may be a bit of a self-serving good deed, but there was an – I don't (laughs) care. No, no, absolutely not. It was self-serving, but it was also kind of amazing. And apparently this has happened before, but this is quite amazing in that an easy jet pilot was was ready to depart. Was it Manchester? I'd go down to vacation, I think, in in Spain, was it? Yeah, Alicante, yeah. Yeah, him and his family. And unfortunately, one of the two pilots for his flight that he was a passenger on did, did not show up, whether there were operational issues or crew scheduling issues. D- this they, was they, they the
0: the Monday following the Sunday French air traffic control issues. I, I think the French had radar issues. And so a lot of easy jet flights got canceled and, and the ones that did run ended up – you know how the – EasyJet operates a lot of flights where they go out and back or they go one, two, three, and then they're supposed to end up at three, but they were only able to get to two.
1: And, and so they, their operations were a, a little out of sync the following morning. Yeah. So this pilot, rather than letting the flight be canceled and vacations ruined, he said, screw it, I'll fly the plane. I got my pilot's license, I got my ID. Let's fire this thing up and, and get down to Spain. Yeah, that's got to be one of those things where you can't tell
0: if it's a joke at first. If you're a passenger, there was a woman who recorded video of, of him making the announcement about what was happening. And I guess at first, you're like, is, is
1: this guy serious? Is this actually happening? And yeah, then just an announcement sudden, at the front of the plane. Hi, I'm Bill. I don't have my uniform, but I'll be flying your plane today. That was basically what he said. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, let, let people know that the pilot wasn't, you know, the, the other captain wasn't able to make the, the flight. And then. All of a sudden, you know, he's, he's in a perfect position to fly
1: it down there. So they went. I think in one of the articles I saw, the airport ops had called uh, the headquarters and said, hey, we want to operate this flight with, with this off-duty pilot. And they said, okay, we'll call you back. And about 30 seconds later, they called back and said, yes, go get the flight out. <laughs> just, just go. Just, just go. go. <laughs> Who
0: cares what he's wearing?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of EU uh, two six four compensation that they will not have to pay because his oh, his pilot was go. willing to operate a flight on his precious vacation time. You know, the thought about the EU
0: compensation will never even occur to me. But yeah, I guess, I guess that that was some quick
1: math that they did. Yeah, whatever we have to pay you, it's far less than we would have to pay the passengers.
0: So the reincarnation of the fourth or fifth version of the Wow brand. Was this week? Maybe we think sort of. Yeah,
1: not really. Sort of. This is ludicrous. Did you watch the press conference?
0: I couldn't get through the whole thing. It was it. It was too Joseph Heller esque.
1: I think. Yeah, it was also very Trumpian in a lot of ways. Where she, let's back up a few steps. Sure, by all means. Yeah, so there's a I guess an investment firm or, or a, a woman I don't really know if, if she's an investment firm or what, but she is very much of the opinion that Wow Air is a brand worth salvaging and salvaging now, Wow come back now. Um so they sank like $86 million, which is half of the amount due or something along those lines, but they they sank a lot of money into buying the Wow the, the remnants of Wow Air and apparently they want to relaunch service between Iceland and Washington Dulles next month, this coming October, with two unidentified aircraft, I I guess they have them in mind, along with dedicated cargo freighters. They have two that are are ready to go to to bring their beautiful fish and, and delicious water out of Iceland, as she kept saying, with their beautiful flight attendants and majestic skies. And the whole thing is just I don't know anyone that thinks WoW Air is a brand worth saving because it came and went so quickly and it went in spectacular fashion and stranded a lot of people and brought Iceland there to the brink of uh, financial ruin, but it's back, I guess, maybe, kind of. I, I think this is going to fall into the category of
0: uh believe it when I see it type thing. The, yeah. Uh, the whole idea, like bringing back WoW, I get, it was a – a very easy brand to understand. I mean, wow, the planes are purple. You've got, you know, you fly to Iceland and you fly back and forth. Like I get that. That proposition is very easy. This seems to be taking that ease of recognizability and turning it into this weird hybrid, like the cargo thing. Why not just start cargo flights? Like I don't understand how that's a wow thing.
1: I don't know. And the whole thing of WoW is supposed to be an ultra low cost carrier. That's what they were. That's what sort of worked for them. But at the same time, she's talking about, we want to have a a lounge at Keflavik for all our passengers and we don't want to charge for water and we want to have Michelin starred chefs. Lady, that's not how ultra low cost carriers work. You have to pay for all those things so you can make money. Unfortunately, WoW didn't make enough of the money even being ultra low cost a bottom barrel, pay for everything. I don't know if she's ever operated an airline in the past. I don't believe so. But an airline cannot, in the one hand, be ultra low cost and at the same time have lounges for everyone and, and give you free meals on a five-hour transatlantic red-eye from Washington to Iceland. It just – none of that math checks out. But
0: it, it sounds like a recipe for a very, very
1: nice airline that will operate for one week yes so i don't like to throw them throw them away so quickly but do not book a flight on this airline once they start offering it because i don't understand how they could turn around to start offering flights this october so damn quickly it doesn't make any sense so don't do that unless it's so cheap you can just throw the 40 buck fare away and not care i mean if i'm going to get a trip to iceland free water because I mean, okay, but and I hear the water is delicious, and
0: a Michelin star meal, and do. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I just figured it out. The whole cargo thing. They're going to make you carry the cargo in your hands into the seat, aren't
1: they? That's a nice value add proposition. That's you're going to have to hold the fish. Yeah, that's why can the flights are going to be so cheap. So we can't eat the fish. We can't. No, only no, you the just fish. have to
0: hold the fish. You are the, the cargo carrier.
1: Oh well, yeah. The the whole thing is wacky. It It, it reeks of like Eastern Nine or something like that. Just, but (laughs) I don't really know. Which we got to see this week,
0: but that's a a story for later in the episode.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Wow, coming back and apparently (laughs) very quickly. I don't buy it. I don't see the need for it. But sure. Speaking of airlines, which are a little
0: confusing and usually on our radar, we continue to question whether Norwegian will exist in the medium term future.
1: Yeah, or even short term. Or, in this or case. even short term future. <laughs> yeah they're um having worse financial issues than than usual they've really a bunch of external factors have really hit norwegian hard for when they started long haul operations boeing was late delivering the 787 which was unfortunate so they started operations with what these aircraft from anyone who had them. And then the Trent 1000s broke, and so they had to wet-lease aircraft from anyone that could have them. And then the 7.3 Maxes were grounded, so they had to wet-lease aircraft from anyone who they could find them from. Are you sensing a pattern here?
0: I'm getting the pattern here. And and so speaking of wet-lease, just a few of the current wet-lease operations operating on behalf of Norwegian. A Euro-Atlantic 767, the High A380, a Highfly Fly A340, an Avelop A330, a Privilege Style 777, another High Fly A340, a WAMOS A330, and another Evelop A330.
1: Yeah, all of this is is just – it's kind of a mess. But kudos for Norwegian for sticking with it and trying to operate flights. If they did not do these wet leases, they would be an operational a disaster more so than they already are. It's just this airline cannot sustain itself constantly paying for other airlines to operate flights for itself, and it's not all external factors. They have an extremely tight schedule with virtually no slack. So. A three-hour delay on Monday ripples through to a, about an hour and a half delay on Thursday. There's very little time to make up flights. But yeah, Norwegian they, – they, what was the amount of money they need to raise or, or restructure, like $300 million or something?
0: It was not an insignificant sum. I don't have the exact number at, at hand, but it – It was not insignificant.
1: No, but let's just say a flight to the Nordic region that I have to take in December. My choices were SAS and Norwegian. And I booked SAS purely out of the fact that I don't know that Norwegian will still be around in December. And I hate that fact. I I like Norwegian, but I don't feel comfortable booking them that far out.
0: Yeah. And and we've talked about this before. You know, the, the product that Norwegian offers, when it is actually. Norwegian is good. I mean, and you were pleased with the service and the product you got on your, I think, last two Norwegian flights. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's we're not wishing them ill. We're just—it's so many things have kind of compounded to just beat them into the ground. It's, It's very,
1: very disappointing yeah it's a damn shame, but let's hope that Norwegian can pull through after already having survived the damn near hostile takeover from IAG probably about a year ago. that might be the future for them we'll We'll see what happens. Yeah, so speaking of IAG, we are
0: recording on eleven September, and today or yesterday and and Monday were the British Airways pilot strikes, two days of British Airways pilot strikes, in which British Airways canceled 1,700 flights, affecting something like almost 200,000 passengers. At
1: one point, there were no British Airways flights in the sky. Right. They're back in None. the year now, but it's important to, to remember that it was just BA mainline. So, City Fire, Com and, and a couple of the other – were Sun Air were not, yeah, not affected. It was, the, uh, it was British Airways proper and then the British Airways Shuttle. Right. And a few flights that were already being operated by wet lease carriers like Air Belgium and, and – Develop. What have you? Yes, developed. They were operating the lucky few, but there were a few flights on Monday that did squeak out that were not canceled, and I'd love to know how BA decided that very small handful of flights would operate.
0: Yeah, I I always find that interesting when when you see you know kind of the necessity to cancel a, a very large amount of flights, whether it's because of strike action or you know pilots or air traffic control, or if it's just weather at a hub. Like what's the decision-making process there? And with so few flights going out at BI, ha- one has to assume that it, it has to do with some sort of like the pilots could fly there, you know? <laughs> so right.
1: That's where they were willing to go. How did they determine that the early morning eastbound Boston to Heathrow flight would operate, but not JFK? Like they're they're virtually the same flight, but one went, the other didn't. And I'd, I'd love to know why. Maybe we can speak to them about that one day. I'm sure they'll be thrilled to talk to us about that. Yeah, oh, yes. But we'll ask and see what happens.
0: Your favorite aircraft and mine has received a few orders in the past few weeks, and things seem to be looking up for the former MRJ, now the M100.
1: Space jet. That one? Yes. Jets in space. Yes. Right? It, it's a, it's the, a the shuttle, space right? space jet. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think – yeah, a terrestrial space shuttle. Yeah, something like that. But Mesa, I did not see this coming. Mesa Airlines placed an order for how many M100s? I believe it it's a
0: 50 uh, – yeah, it's a 50-50 yeah, split.
1: Yeah. 50-50 split, um, 50 firm orders and 50 options if they decide to take those up at a future date. For the M100, which is actually oxymoronically the, the smaller version of the space jet MRJ, because the larger one is the, the MRJ-90 or MRJ-70, but the, the 100 is the smaller one that complies with US regional Airlines scope clause restrictions, which basically dictates the number of passengers on board and the maximum weight that a regional airline can operate with for a mainline carrier, and that would be about 76 for this aircraft. So that's exciting, I guess, not that they're being delivered until like 2024, so who knows what happens between now and then. We don't, but we will find out. Yes, check back in second quarter 2024, and we'll give you an update on this Space Jet Mesa order. Exactly. Make an, we'll make a note for episode uh, 100
0: and change. No, we'll, we'll be in the – Check hu- back well in, in half a decade. There you go. If, yeah, I'm sure we'll a remember. a decade. Yeah. So before we take a break and get into the much more exciting things that we've done over the past couple of weeks, let's do our official 737 MAX update. Nothing good's coming. Nothing good. Nothing good. So where we are is the European regulator, YASA, has expressed their displeasure with Boeing's proposed solutions for the fix and are sending their own pilots to uh, test fly the 737 MAX before they will certify it, even if the FAA says it's good to go.
1: Yeah, this is very bad for the future of aircraft certification. How it works now is basically uh, the FAA certifies an aircraft, EASA takes a look, signs off on it, and the rest of the world follows. John Ostrower, our friend of the show, has written about this a number of times, and it really seems like moving forward, that convention is, is tossed out the window. It's no longer valid. The FAA has been too close to Boeing, letting them self certify the aircraft, and now the whole system is up in flames, which is really, really unprecedented at this point. So even if the FAA recertifies an American United Southwest and who, and I guess Air Canada start operating these flights domestically, that speaks nothing about what EASA has to say for Europe and what the Chinese authorities say in China or the Singaporeans say for Singapore. It's a really slippery slope right now. But it's looking like maybe the first quarter uh, 2020 we'll have them operating again in the U.S., but there's no firm timeline, and the rest of the world's totally no guidance on that right now.
0: Yeah, the CEO of Boeing today said that he still expects the fourth quarter of 2019 to be the re-entry into service. I'm not sure. No, in I service, am very sure. I don't buy that. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy that at all. I I cannot and- for the life of me imagine how they get the aircraft back into service. He said the beginning
1: of Q4 2019. I would be shocked if that happens. I mean, we're we're – damn near in quarter four of 2019. So, I mean, yeah, of course that goes through December 31st, Sure, but but I just – Still. I I just don't see that happening at all. It it may be certified to fly, but by the time the airlines patch up the planes that are are parked in, in wherever they're parked and they're all over the place and actually get them back into the schedule and operate, most of these airlines have either removed the max entirely from their schedule or pushed it out into late December or even into twenty twenty, so they might be used as hot spares, but schedule wise, they're they're pretty much out for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, as always, how this continues to develop, but it doesn't bode well for the recertification of the aircraft that that the European regulators have not signed on to kind of the FAA's plan and and the Joint Authorities Task Force. I think that's what the official name is is, is the, the group of aviation regulators, their report was due or is due in any day now. So that is a report that is examining the certification of the aircraft from a regulatory standpoint, and that report's being written by experts from various regulatory bodies. So that's going to be, a, I mean, I, I say interesting read for those listening to this podcast. Certainly. For anyone else out there, I'm not, I'm not sure how much interest there is, but, but moving beyond what comes out of that report, it'll be interesting to see how the FAA either responds or, or takes that into account. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Indeed, we shall. Let's take a quick break. And then we will come back and get into some of the fun that we had over the past uh, week and a half. What do you say?
1: I think that's a great idea because we we had some good times.
0: We did indeed. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. We have, I think, a very special treat. Jason and I were fortunate enough over the past couple of weeks to, one, see each other multiple times in different states. Weird. I know. And two, participate in some very cool aviation events that uh, one of which we'll never ever get to do again, and one of which we'll hopefully do a year from now. So last week, we were on if you follow flight radar 24 on, on social media you already know what's coming but we were on the one of the super 80 send off uh, final md80 flights from dallas to roswell new mexico where the aircraft are being parked likely never to be flown again there's still an off chance that that their owner the air sale company could find Someone who wants a 1997 MD 83 and fly them again. But very likely, most of these aircraft will never fly again.
1: Some of them could become freight mad dogs. Exactly. There's always that possibility. It's not unprecedented. A couple of them have been plucked out of the desert and they they actually have become freight mad dogs. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully some of them find extra life. Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: always that possibility. But the actual event was rather – it was just a lot of fun. We started the day in Dallas uh, with, with a ramp tour and got some sun on our faces there. And wow, it gets hot in Texas really early in the morning. Who knew? Who knew? And so we're out on the ramp for the departure of the final uh, American Airlines MD-80 revenue service. So that was AA-80 from Dallas to Chicago. And Jason, I, I'm not sure how much you heard about that particular flight, but it did get some folks in trouble.
1: Yes, it did. I believe this that was one of the uh, aircraft that was actually leased, not owned by American and when they arrived in Chicago, everyone on board kind of scribbled up all over the interior, nice notes, some um, not so nice notes, but they they marked up lovingly the interior of the aircraft, and they weren't supposed to do that. Yeah, luckily they happen
0: to all be parking them next to each other, so hopefully they can pull some bins out of one and put them in the other. Or hopefully they'll use that one to convert to cargo and they won't need to worry about it at all. Exactly. But but oops. So we did that. And then we got on another MD-83 to fly from Dallas to Roswell on that aircraft's retirement flight. And for that, we did a little uh, recording on the plane. So we are going to move over to that which is myself, Jason, and our, our good friend of the, of the podcast, John Ostrower, joins us for a, a bit of a conversation about what the MD-83 meant to you know the aviation community, but, but the growth of American Airlines in particular, and some of the cooler things that happened on our particular flight. So, let's listen in on that. Hello, Jason. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm good. Where are we right now? That's a great question. We're over what looks to be a toasted marshmallow inside an MD-83 on its way to Roswell, New Mexico with a whole bunch of special people on its last flight ever with American Airlines. Now, remember,
1: the captain clarified. It's a McDonnell Douglas
2: DC-9. I forgot. John Ostrow joins us to fill us in. (laughs) Uh, I believe it's a DC-9-DASH. 83. There you go. Uh, There we go. That's
0: why we bring them around. And that's why American calls it the
1: Super 80. Super 80. So we are on the... uh, What what was the hashtag that you created for this?
0: So we are on one of the Super 80 send-off flights. So uh, those listening, you have hopefully followed along on social media and all that good fun stuff with the flights. So we are one of 23 aircraft being retired to roswell new mexico today two others are going to tulsa and they will be donated by american to schools i believe and then there's one aircraft that's remaining in dallas for the next couple weeks for de-icing training and then that'll join in roswell as well
1: so we're currently tracking four aircraft in the air right now Uh, three are going dfw straight to roswell and one is actually coming from st louis it looks like there you go or it was there so, yeah, we're uh, we're on our way to, to Roswell right now from DFW. We spent
0: the morning at DFW setting off the first revenue flight, or last revenue flight of American.
1: If you want the first, you're going to have to go back in time. Yeah, way
3: 1982? back in time. 1982?
1: 1982,
0: yeah. So here we are. John, your thoughts on the
2: long tenure of the Super 80. Well, you know, they've flown for an unbelievably long time. Actually, the airplanes that... that Actually, the airplane we're on right now was actually delivered in 1999, so it is actually the newest MD-80 in the world. And, you know, for you know, a 20-year-old airplane, a 20-year-old McDonnell Douglas airplane, that's still very much midlife. I mean, Delta flew the, their DC-9s into the 40s. And so, you know, it's a testament to the resilience of the design. I mean, you know, when you put engines on the back of an airplane, you have to just dis- Design a structure that accommodates for that, and the great thing about that is it keeps the the airframe going and going and going and taking abuse after abuse after abuse, and it just it a testament to the resiliency of of, of what McDonnell Douglas, or Douglas, aircraft company came up with back in back originally in the 60s, the DC9, and just its ability to grow and, and, and over over time. I mean, what got the DC9 and what got the MD80 was ultimately the 737, and then the Boeing merger. Boeing won that handily as far as, you know, what which product they were going to back on the on their path forward. So, you know, it's been several thousand 737s since then, it'll be probably several thousand more before it's all said and done, so it's, but, you know, we're talking about airplanes with a really, really long life, and, you know, ultimately, like I said, the resiliency of the of the design of the airplane.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we are on a plane that was built in 97, came into the American fleet in 2001 after the TWA acquisition. But I mean, you know, some of these, like John said, I mean, some of these last four years and this one is very likely to exit the American fleet and join the fleet
1: somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yeah, the interior of this aircraft is actually quite serviceable. The seats are nice, there's plenty of legroom, it needs a deep cleaning, but right now I have my phone plugged into a DC cigarette lighter adapter plug and it's powering my phone and there's even wi-fi on board and it kind of works. So this aircraft, I, I do feel like it, it, it is not at its end of life. It could be. We don't know if it will ever fly again, but it really feels like it could have a second lease on life.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're leaving the fleet because they're just... They're done with it. Ungodly sums of money are spent on the Super 80 fleet to keep them in the air, to keep pilots current, and mostly on fuel. I mean, they're loud, which is a plus or minus depending on you know what we're talking about. If you're listening to this podcast, that's probably a plus. But they're loud, and they cost a ton of money to operate. So Americans saying goodbye to them.
1: Yeah, and it was a fun departure from the Ian and I were in the back, right next to the engines. John, you were way up in front in first class, because you got an upgrade on a raffle on departure.
2: What was your experience like up front? Oh, it's so quiet. I mean, you're, I don't think they're... Aside from the, the later miles, of the, I think the 87 and the 90, you could not get farther away from... Jet engines. I think I think until the A380 came around. If you were up in the up the uh, upper deck, so you're at the front of an MD83. You're really, really, really far away from everything that's making noise in the back. So it is number one because you don't have engines on the hung in the wings. It's just smooth as silk coming out. It's just wonderful. It's 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 a, it's a really a it is a truly a it's the design hallmark. I guess is the right way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. Of like a rear-mounted engine aircraft where you just. The, the wings are undisturbed, and right? it just, it's just—it's so quiet up front. And you know, it's—it's it's almost a little disappointing when, looking, when you when you want some jet noise. Yeah, it, it does
1: feel like a tank, but I can tell—my body knows that this aircraft is old because my ears are popping. I haven't experienced that on any other aircraft in a very long time. And, and it's not that they pop on departure and arrival; no. it's they just keep popping.
0: It's right now, we're at cruising altitude at what? what Twenty-eight thousand feet. 28, yeah. My ears
1: are continuously popping.
0: So a couple of cool things about this particular flight: one, we got a wing—we experienced a wing wave.
1: I've never had on one departure. From the inside
0: I've, I've never seen a wing wave from the inside, and that was a lot of fun. And two. The the captain of this flight began his MD-80 career at TWA. He's been flying MD-80s for 25 years. And the flight crew decided that out of respect for the aircraft today, they were going to hand fly the entire flight. That's
1: right. Not a touch of autopilot. And
0: you can feel it. When they change speed, you feel it. When they adjust the throttles, you feel it. And I'm really looking forward to the descent into Roswell and feeling that particular experience. So we'll be back later on the ground in Roswell. We're going to watch some more planes land and have a party to to celebrate the MD-80. So we'll be back in a little bit with that. We talked about on the flight that the pilots were hand flying and you could really feel it uh, especially on landing yeah. when the aircraft landed i was sitting in the seat directly in front of the engine so that i could you know still see out the window but still hear the engine as, as best you could and when the rudder moved i felt myself swaying in my seat we were told and as we mentioned in our conversation with john that the aircraft was being hand flown out of respect for the aircraft that yeah, may have out been true t-
1: also, but... Yeah. Turns out that both autopilot systems on that aircraft were actually inoperable at the time. Um, I guess when you're you're flying it out to the boneyard, you really don't care what stuff is working or is not working as long as you can uh, minimum equipment list it and just get it out there. But I don't know if they wanted to fly it for an hour and 40 minutes by hand, but they did because they didn't have a choice. Yeah.
0: The captain was very – I don't, I don't want to say musing about it, but he he took it in stride, I guess. After we had landed, we were getting a tour around the airfield, all of the other things that were there in Roswell, and he which just, is you know, mostly American Mad Dogs Seven Sixes and Seven Fives right. at this point, and and some some other interesting things like a good chunk of the Seven Three Seven Max fleet, American Seven Three Seven Max fleet, and Elvis's old Lockheed Jetstar.
1: Star, yeah,
0: and a single um, X Scoot. Triple Seven named Barry. Named – I – that is a – I knew the Scoot 777 was there. I didn't know it was named Barry. Yep. Okay. See, Jason, this is why we keep you around for important
1: exactly. information like that. If you don't know that, then what really do you know? I, I claim to know nothing and and I stick yes. to it.
0: So what else did we do? So once we got to Roswell, there was a big party with a literal red carpet – And that was enjoyable, delicious food and good conversation with a lot of American Airlines employees who had worked on the MD-80 for a very long time, whether it was flying it, maintaining it, dispatching it, what have you. There was a gentleman there and it was never made clear to me exactly what his connection to the the airline was other than that he had been on an obscene number of MD-80 flights and had an MD-80 tattooed
1: on his arm. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Doug Parker. But, I'm no, getting there. You're getting to that. But now, American did a fantastic job with the event. They retired, I think, 20, 24, or 26 Mad Dogs on the same day. It all seemed to go according to plan. All the planes got to where they needed to go on time, which is pretty amazing for uh, the American Mad Dogs. But it was really fun seeing them all parked next to each other. They were all open. We were, Ian and I were running around inside one of them, but A, because the air conditioning was still lingering around, and B, because we could run around. An airplane unsupervised. Exactly. supervise. Who, who would? And I did the first annual inaugural uh, DB Cooper run where we go from the cockpit to the rear air stairs of the uh, Mad Dog and, and jump out. I think
0: that might be the first and last
1: annual yeah. DB Cooper run,
0: but it, it was a lot of fun. And then we discovered that the aircraft had been fully catered.
1: Yeah. So In addition to still having working power outlets on board, albeit the the DC cigarette lighter adapters and working Wi-Fi and working streaming entertainment, it was a fully catered flight unbeknownst to us with uh, fully catered alcohol. Yeah, and we were surprised by you know full galley carts, but uh,
0: such as it was, we didn't get to partake. But what we did partake in was a good conversation with the American Airlines CEO Doug Parker, who was there. He he spoke earlier at the event, and we had a chance to sit down with him and talk about what the MD eighty means to him and the airline, and kind of what's coming next. So here's a bit from our conversation with uh, American Airlines CEO Doug Parker. We are now on the ground in Roswell. Jason and I landed just fine in the hand-flown MD-80, which was a, a treat. And, and we have a real treat as well now. We're joined by Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines, to talk about what the MD-80 fleet means, what the Super 80 means to the airline, and kind of walk through what, what's happening to the Super 80 fleet, but also to the airline as, as the fleet's renewed. And Mr. Parker, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course, thanks for being here. It's a fun day. Thank you so much, Mr. Parker. Sure. So the MD-80, you had mentioned in your, in your speech a few minutes ago that it, once upon a time, was an efficient aircraft that was replacing other inefficient aircraft like the 727-100. Now it itself is being replaced yeah. by more efficient, more streamlined aircraft. What did the MD80 mean to American over these years?
3: Oh, it's it's so important to the to the history of American, you know, it's it's back in the it was it was Bob Crandall's growth Bob Crandall's growth plan back in, you know, the mid-80s was fueled by this aircraft. Uh, you know, I, I was I joined American in 1986, so I remember it. This was the growth engine of the airline, and it got to a point, that at one point, it was right at 50% of the fleet was was Super 80s. That's pretty phenomenal. So, I mean, you heard the stories of others here. It's more than just, you know, the, an airplane. It's it's about, you know, what a lot of our team members grew up on, and either flying or maintaining or non-revving on, it's, it's a huge part of American Airlines history.
1: So, the Super 80, as American calls it, was, Until very recently, a very large chunk of American's fleet that's been whittled down in seemingly these large, large fleet exits at 24, 26 at a time. How is American managing such a large fleet exit at one time? What aircraft are replacing the spot that the md 880 is retiring from?
3: We merged U.S. Airways and American Airlines in 2013, and both of us had pretty large aircraft orders coming. So it's a combination of those of those two orders. You know, 737s, A three twenties, A three nineteens, A three twenty ones, all you know, there's a number of narrow bodies that have been coming in brand new at both airlines that have allowed us to retire these airplanes and continue to not just replace them but grow.
0: One of the things that we've been talking about with everyone here, the crews who both fly the planes and take care of passengers, and dispatchers and schedulers and things like that, as well as that they've got really fond memories of of these aircraft. They've grown really attached to them for a long time, and, and we've had quite the celebration here today as people have kind of gone through all that they care about and things like that is that something that you see throughout the airline with other sub fleets or or is this one of those things where it truly became like the super 80 truly became kind of a special child in the airline
3: yeah no this one's special there are no others like this one Um, it really is it's it's like i say it was almost it was nearly half the fleet at one point in time but it's also about it's it's a generational issue for us i mean it really all anyone that joined this airline in, you know, the mid-80s, and we have tens, we have tens of thousands of people that joined, that joined the airline back then and that are still working for us, grew up on this airplane, and, and their careers were built on this airplane. So, it, now this is different than others, and I don't know if there will ever be another one like it in America. It, it really is so much a part of, you know, what American Airlines used to grow and become the airline we are today.
1: Do you have any particular fond memories yourself of the Super 80s?
3: I think we all do, but mostly about just remembering, you know, trips that I've taken and flying around on it, the aircraft itself. Frankly, I'm not the biggest fan as a consumer of the airplane, despite that. You know, I've been on it so many times. I mean, yeah, the 2-3 configuration, I guess, you know, it eliminates one of the middle seats, which is nice. But other than that, you know, I've always thought there were more comfortable airplanes in the fleet, more more customer-friendly aircraft. But look, it's what it's what we all ended up, you know, like I said, growing up on At American. So I have really fond memories of it just because of all the trips that I took, non revving around the country, taking business trips around the country. I found myself on the Super 80 a lot, and I, like the rest of us, will miss it. Yeah, definitely
1: not the most uh, modern aircraft on the interior, but you know what? It had DC uh, cigarette-style plugs that I was using, it had Wi-Fi, it had entertainment. I was using it all the way down on its final flight here to Roswell, which I thought was pretty funny. It's this old-school analog aircraft, and there we go, on its final flight to the Boneyard, there's still Wi-Fi.
3: Yeah, it's but air-to-ground Wi-Fi, not satellite Wi-Fi. I think I was the only one using it, so it actually
1: worked on this flight. <laughs> So I had that going for (laughs) me. Yeah.
3: See, and now you fly American and and all of our narrow body fleet has satellite Wi-Fi. And it's want Exactly. Super fast. So, yeah, well, this, anyway, you understand this, you know, that airplane, yes, it had had power. That airplane has power, but it's a cigarette lighter. That airplane has Wi-Fi, but it's air to ground Wi-Fi. It's not the same as flying the other airplanes in the American fleet. And it has smaller overhead bins. All sorts of things that we're that we're now putting in place uh, for our customers that make flying much better than this airplane uh, could provide. As much as we love this airplane, uh, we're moving on to better customer uh, service airplanes. When are
1: we going to bring nicknames back for fleet types? <laughs> we have the Super Eighty here, but everything else is. I guess you have we dream miss liner. the luxury.
0: We have the Dreamliner, but but yeah.
1: that's a, that's kind of like Boeing's. Yeah.
0: Thing. I mean, we we don't we miss the the luxury liner and the. I mean, but well, we have the Dreamliner. That's yeah. a thing. Either way, it was time to say goodbye to yes. the Super 80 and this is a very <laughs> fitting end to it. Exactly. Doug Parker, CEO of American it? Airlines, thank you so much right. for joining us. Thank we you for appreciate being
1: here. it. We enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks.
0: And that was our final Super 80 send off. There are no more Super 80s to send off. They have all been sent to the desert. They're all
1: enjoying retirement and, and we had quite the day. Yes. And, and For those that are going to say there are still MD-80s out there, yes, Delta has a very sizable chunk of the world's remaining Mad Dogs, but those are of the MD-88 a variety. American had the MD-82 and MD-83 and was just really core to their business for many, 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 many years. The MD-88 uh, on Delta's fleet just doesn't seem a- as special, but yes, they do still exist. Sure. I think, like you said, a big part of this was that the
0: MD-80, and like we talked about with, with John a little bit, the MD-80 really allowed the airline to operate across the country in, in a much more robust fashion than they had been. And, and it became a true backbone of, of the airline for, for quite some time.
1: But yes, but kudos to American for pulling off a, a really fun, very long day's worth of events. It was It was a great time by everyone that was there. So we left Roswell, went back to Dallas, and you and I both did something
0: that we probably shouldn't have done, which was gone home. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So Jason, you know, everyone knows that I'm in Chicago. Jason's in New York, and, and we went Dallas. So we went home,
1: Jason to New York, myself to, to Chicago, and then we both flew to Los Angeles. Of course. So yeah, any any normal person flies LaGuardia, Dallas, Roswell, Dallas, LaGuardia switches to JFK to go straight out to LAX because that's the rational thing to do. Of course.
0: I mean, I could not think of a more rational thing to do.
1: No, they probably don't have flights from Dallas to Los Angeles now that I think of it. Yeah. D- no, no, I, I've never. No, hmm. We'll look that up. We need, we need
0: a fact checker for this podcast. But we went to LA for a, you for a number of things and, and me for a slightly smaller number of things. But we started Saturday at uh, Cranky Flyers Dorkfest, which is, this was the ninth year that that Brett Schneider has been doing Dorkfest. And we, we had Brett on the podcast last year to talk about Dorkfest. And we met many of you there and met uh, an even larger number of you this year, it was a huge turnout. There were airline CEOs handing out cheeseburgers. Yeah.
1: I was a little late getting there because I had already arranged my travel to L.A. from New York to get there around one o'clock. But as I'm landing on my JetBlue flight at about twelve thirty, since we were a little early, I see tweets and all this that uh, Oscar Munoz from United is just out there handing out In-N-Out cheeseburgers to the crowd of a couple hundred people, and Delta Corp Comms is out there handing out in and out gift cards for people to buy burgers. It was quite remarkable to see this event grow a couple of years ago from like just a couple dozen people out there, cranky headed home at like 1.30, but it turned out to be a really spectacular event in concert with the NYC Aviation Spot LAX. Event hundreds of people out there. Brett had arranged to do some unramped tours with LAX, and then some ten lucky bidders got to actually do a whole food tour of LAX and some United operations center tours at uh, at the airport, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the the event has really grown to to like a full weekend of of full on. Aviation goodness. Yes, I spotted many planes. Exactly, and for me, the best part about you know, it's great to see stuff that I don't normally get to see in Chicago, for sure. But for me, the best part is about talking to the the people that are there and the the reason that they're there and, and the things that they love. And and there's always you know, two or three people who who have some some crazy stories about how they got there or why they're there or why they're interested in aviation. That you think. That's incredible. And this year, there were no shortage of those. And next year is is Dorkfest's 10th year. So I have no idea what's going to happen, but everyone should put it on the calendar if they absolutely can at all to get to LAX uh, sometime next September. Uh, Keep the whole month open. Yep. (sighs) We had a chance to sit down with. A very important person in our conversations about Spot LAX. We went to the the rooftop spotting area that was part of NYC Aviation's event, and had a chance to talk with both Pan Am Bag. The Pan Am Bag did not say very much, but Lauren Darniel, who is the the voice of Pan Am Bag and an aviation enthusiast from from Seattle, was there, and we had a chance to sit down and talk with her. So let's listen in on a little bit of that now. We've adjourned to the rooftop deck of the H-Hotel in Los Angeles for what is, I guess, officially the second part of the Dorkfest-Spot LAX combo. We, We are officially spotting things at LAX. Jason, do you see planes? I see lots of planes in every which direction, yes. And we are, are thoroughly enjoying the beautiful weather here in Los Angeles. It's been quite the week. We had Dallas, Roswell, and now Los Angeles. So it's, it's been hot and sunny all week.
1: There, the last couple of days, LaGuardia, Dallas, Roswell, Dallas, LaGuardia, JFK, LA, beautiful weather every hop of the way. Which I think lottery ticket time? Yeah, both the New York and the
0: California Lottery, just to be safe. (laughs) Maybe Powerball, Mega Millions, whatever. doesn't matter. Whatever it is. Throw it in there. We are joined by Lauren Danielle, who is a spotter extraordinaire who may be better known by the Internet by not someone necessarily, but something. And so we're doubly pleased to welcome you to AvTalk. Thank you so much for joining us to talk to us about Spotlex and and what we're all doing here.
4: Thanks for having me. First ever podcast.
0: The first. Well, then we're happy that it is Jason's. Yes, Jason's first ever podcast. Mm-hmm. So you are internet famous as well, the voice.
4: That seems generous but
0: I'll I take, no I'll I'm take it. I'm I'll saying it. It. you are you are internet famous at least or maybe world famous as the voice of the Pan Am bag. That's true. So you and the Pan Am bag are both here at Spot LAX. You're from Seattle and you've flown all the way to LAX.
4: Tell us why. Well, that sounds a lot easier than all that those segments Jason just listed. Pay no
0: mind to Jason. He doesn't count.
1: I do this all the
4: time. Yeah, well, I got up at uh, 1.30 a.m. to be here, and I haven't fallen asleep yet. So
1: 1.30? I came from New York, and I woke up at 7.30.
4: Yeah, well, you took a much later flight. My flight was at 5.
1: All right, I'll give it to you.
4: (laughs) Yeah, so I got up early, and yeah, I guess I'm running on adrenaline and sugar at this point. So it's – but it's been good. Yeah, I mean, like Jason said, beautiful weather, and I love coming down here. This is my fifth year in a row coming to DorkFest. And I guess second year for Spot LAX, So I love it that they're scheduled on the same weekend so I can see all my, my Twitter friends in one place and, you know, put a face with a handle.
0: That is one of the great things about Dorkfest and Spot LAX is is you meet all of these people throughout the year on Twitter or Instagram or, or where have you and then you get a chance to meet them in real life and, and see that they're three-dimensional people who care a little bit more than about planes, but not much more. Because I feel like the whole weekend's really heavily aviation-focused, but in a very welcoming way where there were a lot of younger aviation enthusiasts at Dorkfest, as well as people who are recently acquired into the AvGeek kingdom.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love seeing people bring their kids. You know, Obviously, I don't have kids myself, but but yeah, I love seeing the kids here. When I was little, I would have loved to go to a thing where people, like, if I had known that, that some adults just, like, get together to watch planes, I would have thought that was totally cool. So, yeah, I love to see young and old and everything in between.
0: It really does run the gamut. And we had a great morning with, I would say, a group of hundreds down by the In-N-Out at the least, end of I mean, there, the LAX complex. Yeah. There
4: were a hundred of us on the bus tour because there were two buses of 50. So, And there were already a ton of people at Dorkfest by the time the other hundred people showed up. So, I mean, conservatively, really, I'd have to say at least 200, but I mean, I really don't know.
0: Yeah, and we had a great time with some in and out burger and and a lot of great conversations, some good giveaways and things like that. What kind of is your favorite part about Dorkfest and Spot LAX?
4: Well, like I said, it's just kinda of getting to see all my, my Twitter friends in one place. It's uh fairly easy for me to fly down here from seattle so it's yeah it's always it's always fun to to see everybody in person and then of course i guess the high i mean the highlight of this year for me personally was special visit by oscar that was something i wasn't expecting when i woke up this morning so that was a fun surprise and like you said i didn't win anything in the raffle but there's always, you know, airlines always, you know, step up and, and donate some some great prizes. And, you know, just even in the five years that I've been coming to Dorkfest, it seems to get bigger and bigger every year. So keep the crazy train rolling, I guess. We,
0: we could have, so we're referring to Oscar giving out uh, prizes, Oscar being the CEO of United Airlines. So with a surprise visit and surprise in and out he was yeah, he, handing he bought, out cheeseburgers. He brought
4: some burgers and, and uh, asked me if I wanted one.
0: So I think that, like you said, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And who knows what next year we'll bring. Maybe we'll have, you know, the big U.S. airline CEOs competing yeah, in some sort of I
4: I like, In-N-Out
0: burger handout.
4: I got to get, get my favorite guy, Brad. I got to get my favorite guy, Brad, <laughs> yeah. down here for a selfie. That would well, really be something. them all out
1: here competing for our individual love. So we had Delta giving out. That sounds like um, a bachelor. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, Delta was out here giving gift cards away for In-N-Out while United CEO was physically handing out burgers. I want to see... JetBlue's CEO handing out what what's airplanes. Other, airplanes. Airplanes. Like a, a 321. You
0: get a 321. So the 321
1: yeah. I flew out on. Here are the keys, sir. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. But
0: you already have keys to an airplane. A
1: 777 300ER. Not that the keys do you any good, but you have them. I will go up to American at Terminal 8 and jingle the keys around and say, like <laughs> I own the plane. I don't think that's how I don't it works.
4: Think, yeah. I don't think they have a valet over there to uh, bring no. your plane around.
3: No,
0: they don't. So we're going to turn the microphone off, sit back, relax. we got let's see some delta and southwest metal ready to go and there's a big plane over there as jason says we're going to go figure out if only there was some sort of app that we could use to figure it out minute. i can do this and Jason says it's
1: it a a 787-9 heading to, of course, London Heathrow. And there it is. We will be back later a
0: little bit for some more Spot LAX big 2019 commentary from Jason. Expert commentary. Mm-hmm. Another big plane. Big plane go now. Dorkfest is over. Spot LAX is over. I have since made it back to Chicago. I still need to catch up on maybe four or five days worth of sleep. But Jason, you've kept going and are still – I believe you've uh, done something that involves waffles.
1: Yes, I am at the uh, Apex Expo out here at the Convention Center in downtown LA for a change, which I I think one of our first shows was at this – first episodes of the podcast was at the sister show to this, which is the Aircraft Interiors Expo, which is basically all the suppliers of all the things and things and stuff and junk you see inside of airplanes. This is where they show off all their wares and try to get the attention of the media and airlines and suppliers and all that. So the entertainment manufacturers, the seat, I got to sit in Uh, spirits, new seats, which are very spirit, just slightly less bad than they used to be, which is nice. I got to eat some That's a decent tagline. Just slightly less less bad than we used to be. Yeah, but actually, that's a bit harsh. They're actually nice and there's some – knee room these days, but it's only going to be on new deliveries and like at the end of the day, maybe 20% of the fleet. So who cares? You can't predict on finding them anyway. Um, So good for you if you happen to get one of those aircraft. I ate some waffles. I may have stolen an entire box of Stroop waffles, which is nice. The new uh, maple flavor, which is awesome. Yeah, I I drank some mediocre coffee. I played a a game on one of Panasonic's seatback systems. Maybe you've played with these games. Uh, apparently they're they're popular with kids. Toka Boca games. I I don't, know if-
0: I, don't uh, I don't have any familiarity with those, but I look forward to them coming
1: to a Panasonic seatback near me. Well, you're depriving your children then because apparently they're they're very popular. But this one this one particular game of of the few dozen I played that were – not a few dozen but a handful that's available on Singapore Airlines right now is basically an endless scrolling game where you pilot a, a little kitty in a plane. In this case, it was a space shuttle or a corn cob and all sorts of weird things happen on the screen like it flies through a hot dog and the spaceship starts pooping out hot dogs. It's, it's fun, and I could definitely spend half an hour playing that on a very long flight. You can go look at my Twitter feed for, for video of that if you choose. But yeah, fun stuff, nice seats, stroopwafels, and hot dog farting, corn on the cob, airplane video games. Jason,
0: hard at work at the Apex Expo in Los Angeles, California. They made California.
1: me to
0: do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the lives we lead. This has been episode sixty-six, and what an
1: episode it was! We're going to have a lot of work to do before episode sixty-seven, aren't we? Our first and maybe last ever airline CEO interview. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. But thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you, everyone, who we talked to at Dorkfest and Spot LAX. We had a great time chatting with with a lot of folks who, who do listen to the podcast, and we thank you all so much for your support and your continued listenership. If you haven't already, this is your periodic encouragement to leave us a rating and or review. We do see them and read them all, and they help others who haven't yet found our podcast do so. So that's always very helpful.
1: I am Ian Pechnik in Chicago, here as always with Jason Rubinotes, and thank you for listening to this extra long edition of the podcast.